Cole Shack's Loop Podcast, Episode 18, Midnight Interview with Joe Gentili. Hi, this is Joe Gentili, the publisher at Moonstone. You are listening to the Kolchak's Loop Podcast. All right, Joe, thanks so much for being with us uh, on this particular podcast. Um, we've already said a few things and we may edit those in or we may not. I'm not sure how, how we'll play all that. Right now. So, okay, well, let's give me a little history. How long have you been doing the Kolchak podcast? How many episodes have there been? Yeah, go ahead, Bradley. Yeah, so I think we're at episode 17 and we've covered <laughs> up through, uh, we've recorded up through, I think, Spanish Moss Murders and then uh, Horror in the Heights. So we got Mr. Ring coming up next. Uh, and then Spanish we did with Rich Haddam, who wrote Mothman Prophecies. And I think he's working on DC's Titans now. And he's also did Horror in the Heights. And then we have, just basically, that's what we covered. Talked to Mark DeWoodziak for a couple episodes. Uh, had a Halloween special. Basically, just mostly covering the series. And eventually, I think after we cover the series, we're going to cover the books. And uh, we okay, yeah. So that's sort of where we got off. We haven't done the the movies yet because we were going to wait till after sort of have the have the movies after the show, so we could do like the first movie, then the first book, and then the second movie, then the uh, follow up book, and sort of compare them. And have James okay. Rice on for that. Um, but yeah, that's basically where we're at now. Uh, so when you do it, like you talk about an episode, for instance, um, just it's the two of you talking. Do people comment or what What happens? A little bit of both. Hmm. A little bit of both. Uh, I mean, we, we always intend to cover the episode in detail. Bradley's got a, a billion notes when it comes to all the cast and, and all of his connections that he have. We have various... Um, you know, uh, subjects that we'll cover, whether it's specifically the monster and then the paranormal influence that is brought out with that monster that would see in, you know, nonfiction, so to speak, and people reporting things. Um, and then we have had, again, a couple guests on. Uh, I mean, James came on, too, and we talked to him about his dad. And mm -hmm. uh, so that was nice. Um, and we, one of our, uh, we're in a bunch of those different Kolshak groups. I know I've seen you in some of those too. And a few of the more passionate fans have um, sent in questions. We actually have someone who called in questions for you uh, for this interview. And uh, so we'll play that. So you can hear that and we'll kind of respond to that. But we had uh, this guy, Jeff Coburn, um, who does all kinds of cosplay, or as he and Bradley like to call Cole's play as they dress <laughs> up in their Cole shack outfits. And, uh, and then, you know, and then somewhere down the road, um, we still hope to do some type of Jeff Rice Memorial scholarship. Yeah. Yeah. And so that is the hope um, I've actually gotten um, a lot of good initial traction with University of Nevada, Las Vegas, where Jeff went to school. Mm -hmm. James James recommended that, and I contacted their head of their media department, for lack of a better terminology, just media all things. Mm -hmm. And he he's a, a huge fan. Ironically, his last name is Stoker, <laughs> no <laughs> no relation, but he has used the vampire stuff all his life. And, and, and it, there is no, uh, you know, promise for anything yet, but the word is that he was going to talk to one of their big donors there at UNLV who has, who he thinks would be very interested in contributing towards this. And we haven't set 
real numbers for any of this yet. It's probably going to be somewhere between 50 and 60 grand. That way it can be in perpetuity, something that's roughly a $500 scholarship, but we really want to make it a writing contest and uh, make it so that, um, you know, we can continue to keep the, the good name of Kolshak out there every year. And then we can show people these submissions and that type of stuff. And, and realistically why, I think we wanted to talk to you as we consider you the torchbearer uh, at this point of who's been keeping Cole Shack alive. So okay. that's, that's, you know, that, that I think that's not an, un, not an overstatement uh, as, as far as we're concerned and what we see when you say Bradley. Oh, hundred percent. And, you know, I feel like that's a good place to enough talking about us and maybe to uh, introduce him uh, a little bit more. Like yeah. What else he's done. So you own, do you still own three comic stores in the South? Chicago area? Yes. Yeah, we're still operating as uh, Amazing Fantasy Comics. We have three locations, south suburbs of Chicago. Okay, yeah. Editor, writer, a man of many hats, pretty much anything. Uh, and, and, of course, founder of Moonstone Comics, which, I mean, you, you've done a lot more, and we'll get into that a lot more besides Coal Shack, but the standard bearer for Coal Shack. But... Um, do you, what do you consider your title, Joe, other than the man that we all bow down to for keeping Cole Shack alive? What, um, what do you, what do you, how do you introduce yourself to people? <laughs> I don't think I put a title to it, but Cole Shack was important to me as a kid. And when we started Moonstone, that was the first thing I went after. Ah, cool. I, I wanted to, what is not out there in comics that I would want to see that I would personally want to read what's not being served out there. And Kolchak was my first go-to, but I, you know, I didn't have any experience at any of this. So right now I, I just, I guess I just consider myself uh, the Moonstone publisher right now, you know, to start all that stuff off just from square one, trying to be someone who deals with licenses and uh, contracts and freelancers. That was all brand new, but it certainly has been a long and fun ride as far as Kolchak goes. Yeah, that you, you, I, th I think someone may have sent you my notes because that was going to be really my first question. I think that's where we start is, you know, I was just thinking, were you one of the first people to envision, you know, Cole Shack in the uh, comic world? And it's, it sounds like you kind of were, at least at the very least, you're the one who pursued the rights to be able to do it. Right. Because the rumor is, I was not a part of this, but I do know people who were. That Tops, when Tops had a comics com uh, brand, mm. Tops Comics didn't last too long, but they were out there for a couple of years and they pursued it. I do not know what transpired there. It didn't happen, obviously. Right. I do know that as soon as I talked to Mark Dwidziak and then we both talked to Jeff Rice about it, when we got going, somewhere along the way, soon after, I want to say it was DC Comics, somebody else jumped in to try to get it. And... I will always be thankful to Jeff. Jeff is a very, was a very loyal person mm -hmm. and he stuck with us and knowing that, you know, DC would obviously put up probably larger numbers, maybe for a shorter period of time, but he didn't care about that. What he cared about is somebody who cared about his character. And it's hard not to think about that from time to time when I think about Jeff, because that's his loyalty. I mean, Jeff was Jeff, you know, he would give us, copious notes he loved the written word so no phone calls i talked to him twice on the phone uh, he didn't like it either time but <laughs> he would write letters 
And then uh, when we would send him stories to look over, just, oh my God, you know, just notes upon notes of stuff, which was kind of cool to get that much information and communication with Jeff. But um, yeah, that stopped after a while when he began to trust us and uh, what we were doing. So for a license, it was a very easy license. And probably just like yourselves, you know, I found artists and writers all over the world who were Kolchak fans, you know, so it was not hard to get people to work for us. Yeah. And so, so to get a timetable, what gear do you think are roundabout years was this? God, you know, I knew you were going to ask me that question. It has been so long now. Um, I think, didn't it, did it come after Dewidziak's book or was yes. it in there? Yeah. I no, I knew because of Dewidziak's book, I researched his name to find him in a phone number right. to come. Right. So it was after the book. And I do know that right around um, September 11th, our first books were in, at the printing press. Now, it's not our first Kolchak book, but Kolchak came months after that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was right around that time. Man, so that's yeah. a long time. Yeah. And, you know, talking about comics and DC going after it, to me, I guess if you wanted a Kolchak equivalent to DC Comics, I'd think of like Jonah Hex or something like that. Uh, it's sort I mean, not not as far as I'm saying, like character, I guess, name value or something, which Jonah Hex sort of known. But if you see what they do with it, like it maybe is like a 10 issue run and then they just drop it for like 10 yes. years, 15 years. And, right. I, you know, you won't see another one. I think they rebooted it in like 2012 and there's a good Jonah Hex book and they just ah, we're done with it. We'll just cancel it. And these bigger comic companies seems like if it's not hitting those numbers that they want, that they'll just, you know, hey, it's old news. Yeah, I mean, that's very true. And from a publishing standpoint, you know, they have to be able to make enough to pay the people to do the product. So when you have these niche characters, um, at least they view them as niche, that makes it tougher for them to do. I mean, DC's had the Avenger, DC's had the Phantom, and none of those last very long because they're niche. Mm -hmm. And that was the exact things that we were going for, for Moonstone. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even something like, you know, something like Swamp Thing, which is real big. I think they, there was a hiatus of Swamp Thing and they just yes. rebooted it again recently. Uh, DC, yep. I think actually, ironically, I think DC did redid Swamp Thing for the anniversary and then Man Thing also was rebooted by Marvel recently. Um, yeah, that's true. Which I know you run a comic shop, so I'm sure this is <laughs> nothing to you. Oh, I know, I know all these dates and stuff. Uh, no, it's all right. So, hey, back back to Kolchak, um, and and I loved hearing what you said about um, Jeff's personality being so loyal, and and I have heard you know Mark Dewidziak both write that to me and say that to me, and and James certainly I think say it that Jeff was loyal to a fault to a certain extent. And, and so I, I, and I think what James has also indicated to us is that Kolshak in a lot of times was the character that his dad wished he could be. Um, but I think, you know, the reality from what I hear people say, and this is what makes me want to do this memorial scholarship and all these other things is I think this is, this is definitely what Jeff was. Um, he was a very loyal person. And, and I think you, you see the very first episode in the Ripper, you know, Jane says she can't trust him. Um, you know, you know, he'd, he'd steal a story from his own fairy godmother. But I think the people can trust Kolshak that he is going to try to find the, the story that, um, you know, everybody wants. And I mean, is that the main appeal for you? 
is that we can trust our man Kolshak, or is there other things about it that you see when it comes to liking the the movies, the the TV show, and and then exploring it in comics and everything else? What still draws you into that, Joe? Well, that's another uh, good question. We used to call him the truth seeker here at. Are you serious? The character being the truth seeker, and then we also had on on many times as far as taglines go, we would use the everyman description for Kolchak because okay, he's got no powers, he's no greater than you or I, but he, a he's out there to seek the truth no matter the cost, and I think as a just as an adult now watching this or reading the Kolchak stuff is the amount of bravery he has. Yeah you know, to pursue these things that most of us would not <laughs> or would run away from. So the everyman appeal, the seeking of the truth, and just the, you know, pretty much borderline ridiculous bravery against all odds. I mean, I think those are super appealing qualities. Right, right. And you can definitely frame stories around that type of almost blind heroism, <laughs> um, you know, that that somebody does. And, and, and I think they sell the idea that he is a bit of an egomaniac. Um, but I don't think that comes through nearly as much as what they tell him. He is, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're the old big city reporter who's been bounced out of everywhere and you're only doing this for the byline. And then he, you know, he quickly is like, well, what if I am, it doesn't matter. And, you know, and I, I love that, that side of all those things. So I think that's great that again, it's, it's, it's something that you as someone who is a creator and a publisher, who can bring that and still uh, bring that still to life to people and, uh, and have them experience it. And, you know, on these, on these sites that we have, so many people are all roughly my age and above. So I'm 55 and, you know, there's just, uh, and I was five years old when the first movie aired and I did okay. get to see it. So we didn't, we tend to ask a lot of people, where were you? when the first things popped out. So what was that experience like for you, Joe, when you first got to see Kolchak? Yeah, I was really, really young. The memory of it is scattered because I would be literally at my next door neighbor's house, watching it on a tiny 12 inch screen, sitting on a kitchen table. Yeah. And it was the zombie episode. And Mm. I remember I had to, it was on at nine o'clock, I think Chicago time. And after the episode, I would have to walk to my house. Now, it's one house away. But in between those two houses was like this row of bushes that I would have to traverse braver, you know, to get to my house. And although I ran from house to house, it was the longest trip I can remember as a kid. But it was super scary and exciting. And that never left. That was just a great feeling. That's good. Bradley, I want you to ask your next question, but I do want to say that that is such a, um, uh, I don't know, a similar experience, not that I had with Kolshak per se, but anything that was kind of scary when it was dark out. And I had probably six or seven houses to run past to get to my house from a friend's house. (laughs) Okay. It was that night, and I still can remember the wind like blowing in my ears, the sound of me just hauling butt down <laughs> the street yeah. to, to try to get myself back home That's because I, we just watched something scary or even we didn't watch anything scary. It was just in my head, <laughs> you know, all the time. I love that story. 
Bradley, what do you want to say? Yeah, and I think a part of the appeal of Kolchak and something that brought me in was uh, I had never heard of Kolchak whenever Robert approached me and said, hey, I want you to do, without even like really saying it, he said, I want you to do a podcast with me about Kolchak, and I know you've never seen it, so go watch the movie, and if you want to do a call, if you want to do the podcast after watching the very first movie, you tell me yes or no on it. And I watched Word. the first movie, and it was, I loved it. I loved the writing for it, and I think and now going, now after I found out Richard Matheson and all these other people, Dan Curtis, were involved, uh, I've, I'd, I'd actually enjoyed Dark Shadows before that, so finding all that out afterwards i was like you know it makes complete sense but one thing about kolchak is where i guess my experience as a kid some of the first movies i saw was like zombie you know uh, scooby-doo zombie island and more like stuff geared towards kids but it was mm-hmm. like television you know when i was growing up is like you know 400 plus channels and it's even more in streaming now but whenever you were kids like there's three channels mainly and so you have to watch what's on tv so they have to put out something that appeals to parents and appeals to kids so yeah. Kolshak appealed to parents, you know, dads watched it with their with their sons, with their daughters, whoever. And it's something that, you know, sort of they had to cover the margins, cover the different gaps. And so everybody enjoyed Kolshak. It wasn't like a kid's geared towards kids or geared, geared towards adults. It was sort of uh, you could find a potluck of anything you wanted every week. If you want to see him battling a werewolf on a cruise ship one week or, uh, <laughs> or, or, you know, anything or a zombie in a, in a, how a zombie riding a bus. However the heck that happens. I don't know how he gets a <laughs> bus pass on that, but you know, there, there's so much to it that, uh, that I just really, and that's one of the fun things talking about it too, is like the, the intense scenes are so fun, but even like the things where he, he just gets on the bus and goes and they let him <laughs> off and nobody questions it. Like, Hey, I mean, it's just so much fun just talking about Cole Shake. But uh, moving on to my question, uh, you know, you talked about comics, no doubt, had an influence in your life, of course. Mm-hmm. You know, you own comic shops now. Uh, what were some of the comics that you read growing up? Uh, and who were some of the writers or artists that you remember uh, looking up to or enjoying their work? You know, as a kid, when I got into comics, it was because relatives would give my parents hand me down comics. Comics that their kids were done with. So the first comics I got were Neil Adams X-Men. Oh, now, yeah. at the time, I didn't know how cool they were. I read them and I liked them. Uh, we had early Gene Colan, Daredevil, and stuff like that. And um, although I read the credits as a kid, I really didn't become really cognizant that, oh, there might be different writers for this title or this title comes out every 30 days. You know, that wasn't really part of it. I would just be handed a pile of comics. Um, so it's funny to think that Neil Adams was one of my first uh, artists that I got to know his name and appreciate his work. Yeah, yeah, because I know growing up, like, for me, it was like the exact opposite. Like, it was almost like I would see Internet forums or something or like very early and people would say, oh, this Grant Morrison run on Batman is great. Or this Grant Morrison. I remember his uh, his jail, his Justice League of America's run. Everybody's like, oh, this is great stuff you need to check out. And I was like, OK. Or uh, Tim Sales and Jeff Loeb's uh, Long Halloween and that whole series. Oh, yeah. I was like, man, this is this is amazing. Like it was more like geared. And if you saw the graphic novel, you'd see their names huge on the front. Uh, what would Brian Boland? Who did Killing Joke? Uh, Brian Boland and uh, that, that was, was Alan Moore. Alan Moore. I oh, completely uh, his run on Swamp Thing as well. Uh, but mm-hmm. stuff like that, like it seemed to shift more to, hey, look at these creators and stuff. But then used to it used to be about that comic cover that you'd see. You'd go to the newsstand and see it, you know. And mm-hmm. we've sort of lost that allure. Uh, do you? I mean, but you own a comic shop. Is it sort of fun? 
I guess, do you, do you actually work in the comic shops or do you spend a lot of time yes. in there? Do you, I mean, I is, do. It, is it fun seeing people like kids? Do you see a lot of parents bringing their kids and them looking at the newsstand? I mean, it's like a, a callback to when you were a kid, really, you know? What? It is. You know, you get to see that a lot. Uh, and, you know, it works for our stuff, too. And we put out Kolchak stuff or I'm at a convention and a parent brings their kid to look at Kolchak and the kid is the one who ends up buying it. Yeah, I mean, that's a great feeling. And watching it with comics in my comic shop, that's awesome. And if it wasn't for those parents, you know, I'm not sure what kind of a following comics would actually have. But, oh, yeah, yeah it and, works. And I think I was scrolling through something. I saw one of the spreads you had at one of the cons, I guess, on your table. The Moonstone spread, like the comic sort of on the tiered looking risers. And it looks so it looked like a good setup. Man, I would go to that table <laughs> in a heartbeat. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate that. Obviously, Joe, you can see Bradley is the the the, the resident expert with all things comics and and those types of things. So I didn't even necessarily even know that when I asked no. him to join and do the the podcast with me. We also have uh, done some things with with uh, Stranger Things. Bradley has contributed to that, and uh, we have another podcast that I do is for the Twilight Zone. And uh, there, there is typically a, a groan or a sigh that comes from my co-host on the Twilight Zone podcast because I will typically have a Kolshak moment. So, <laughs> you know, if it's, uh, you know, the at some point when he says Wunderkind um, and he describes the, you know, the, the conductor and, um, and we had a, the episode in the Twilight Zone where that was pronounced incorrectly. So I got to, you know, shine in with some Kolshak moments and, <laughs> and that stuff. But no, I kind of... I, Hearing Bradley mention, where you mentioned the zombie episode, and and thinking about it, you know, have you ever had an episode that you've seen, and when you haven't watched it in a while, you go back to it, and you realize there's something new that you're still noticing, or this is what I've done. I kind of deceived myself after playing it over in my head over and over and over again that things happen that never really did um one, one of them is in the zombie episode is he is so intricate when he talks about sewing up the lips you know of the zombie with the needle and thread mm -hmm. that i i believe that there actually was the scene in the show where he did insert the needle into the lips and pull it up through. Now, maybe I saw that on some other version of it, but at least in me TV, uh, I think where we've said Bradley, sometimes they may edit some things out. It didn't, I didn't see that scene. Hmm. So do you know, does that actually happen in that? Do you remember that? Or have you ever sort of projected your own memories oh, into some of these episodes? Certainly, certainly I have done that, but, you're right, because of all the edited versions of that out there. When the first VHS came out, I ended up getting those because I wanted to see them uncut again. And I'd have to look back at the zombie one. But I do know that as a kid, when I watched The Ripper, which, of course, scared the hell out of me. Um, mm -hmm. The funny part for me is rewatching an episode, knowing what's going to happen and still getting that that fear fingle, uh, tingle, you know, that feeling. Yeah. And uh, I think that's, you know, good writing, good acting quality show and you see that stuff and that makes me laugh but yes and people would ask me questions about uh the chopper episode or the werewolf episode and i remember things that yeah don't show up in the episode so uh <laughs> you know i do remember the the ripper episode right where you see coltac shoes under the drapes yeah and yeah. when mm -hmm. i went to rewatch it that scene was very short 
And in my childhood memory, that scene went on and on and I couldn't take it anymore. So, yeah, I don't know. I think some of it is perception, but the other part is, yeah, I'd have to watch the uncut versions again to see what was in there. You know, I think us talking about that. say that. Go ahead, Bradley. Yeah, us talking about the Ripper, like even when the first time I watched it, because I usually have to watch these episodes like two or three times in order to first watch it, take it in, because the whole premise of our show is, Robert's the longtime fan. I watch every episode for the first time. So there's still episodes that I haven't seen yet. Oh, so, that's cool. Okay. So I sort of react. And I and I, the Ripper episode, to me, that scene went on for a long time. Like it like the like the stick in the hand in the closet and trying to get him. I had that same feeling, but then I rewatched it. I'm like, man, this is only like two or three minutes, you know? And then breaking through the banister and all that. But I had the exact same sense the feeling there. Um huh. okay. Good to know. But you said all Maybe of, I'm not crazy. Yeah, you said that all your stores are located in the south side of Chicago, which uh, yep. uh, I don't know if you noticed uh, Robert's hat. Robert, God, let you ask your question. Oh, I'm not going to stay. What, what it, do did I do something to you in a previous life? Like why you got to call me out all the time? He called <laughs> me out one time about trying to know that uh, Nosferatu's character's name was Count Orlock. You know, with with Dwidziak. Hey, you you know it now though. Now now <laughs> I, I I have watched so much because one of the people we are eventually going to interview is uh, Jay Gordon Melton. Uh, who is the he's a vampire expert he is actually a professor of new religions um at baylor university currently hmm. but he is kind of all out there um ed gross if you may know who was uh, involved with the publishing i think with the first um dewidziak um book that he can, he did yeah yeah um, just, yes and ed, ed has launched a website called um, slayers and vampires. And then he's been interviewing some folks. He actually, well, this is completely off track here. Sorry, but he actually got to spend many weekends, um, interviewing Jonathan Fred, Oh, yeah. um, you know, of course who played Barnabas Collins Wow. and he has done his, 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 uh, his dues for, for those types of things. But since hearing that guy, yes, I have, I've upped my game, but yeah, my wife is a Cubs fan. Uh, okay. My my brother was a Cubs fan. Um, I am still mostly a Cincinnati fan, but I'm not allowed to say that around this house. <laughs> so yes, I'm wearing the the Army issue Cubs hat, and and we were going to ask you if you're a Sox or a Cubs, and we think no, I'm a Cubs fan. What? <laughs> there you go, Bradley. I I was I, I put money that he, that you were a Sox fan. I'm, I know that's all right. Yeah, my uh, my relatives all came from like the Blue Island area, which is still south of Chicago. But for reasons unknown, this was the '60s. Cubs and Sox players on a home game would come to my relative's house for pasta. Shut so, up. so as a kid, I was getting like um, autographed photos of Don Kessinger for the Cubs or Milt May oh, for the Sox, getting all kinds of crazy shit. But I never got a chance to meet any of them, of course. But yeah, so all my family was Cubs fans, and that's just how it worked. Yeah, oh, that's that cool. awesome. That's, that is really awesome. Well, I, I've been to, uh, I guess, only two games, and um, but the, it's the environment there, um, mm-hmm. being able to walk to the game, uh, we'll take the train and then walk to the game, and then all the different pubs that are around. And, <laughs> and my wife is a staunch vegan. There actually is, I guess it's the Chicago Diner, maybe uh, that's there. It's it's all vegan. 
and but they they serve like pub food all vegan so you're getting mac and cheese and mashed potatoes and fries and whatever else it is they and burgers so we just love that place and and man that that park i mean i i'm not a huge baseball fan i did play and i like it but i you have to like embrace that park oh yeah what it is because it's just so beautiful um uh, yeah i'm a braves fan so yeah he's a braves fan well, wait, I waited. I've waited twenty twenty six years. Come on, give me give me a break. Here. Yeah, no, he's. I don't he's think you can talk to a Cubs fan about waiting twenty six years. So <laughs> no, you're, you're right. Yeah, you're exactly. Hundred you how many years? Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> we did because we're here in Louisville, and they have the Louisville Sluggers. That's where I'm mm-hmm. from, it's Louisville, Kentucky. Hmm. Um, we had to get a bat, so we do have the World Series championship bat. And oh. it's, it's like the one thing of any collectible item that I have. That's it. That's really okay. the only thing I have. But some some friends of mine who are Cubs fans were pretty impressed. Like, you bought the bat? Yeah, my wife, man. Just don't don't even try to get in her way. <laughs> you had to have, you know, some some Cubs stuff. Um, but speaking of Chicago, too, and and this is something I hope to do somewhere down the road. Um, and, and as another aside, I have a brother now who's lived in Chicago for about 20 years. Um. Tell me about the Chicago Loop. And you know, in the, the first episode, you know, Cole Shack says, or at least Tony comes in and says, What are you doing? And 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 Carl says, I can't stand it anymore. I'm gonna go see what's happening on the loop. And Tony yells, then there's nothing around here other than Miss Emily's column. You know, there's nothing on the loop. Essentially, that's what happens. So this is why we called ourselves Cole Shack's loop, is oh. because of that very reference. And, and, and I know that it's, it's a reference to the trains um, and essentially the loop that the trains make is, is there even any kind of perception as a, now I'm guessing you're obviously a lifelong Chicagoan. So has that even come up in conversation? Oh boy, it's the loop. Or does that even, it's probably just a, a mode of transit that you don't even think about. For most of us here, the loop is now a section of the city. Okay. So the original reference to it, I believe, is pretty much lost to most. So it's really like the main downtown area of Chicago is called the Loop. Mm. You know, where whether it's Merchandise Mart that's there or um, I can't even think of it now. Uh, but it's where all the businesses are located, all the big businesses, um, all the big retail uh, is in the Loop right off of Lakeshore Drive. So... It's interesting how that went from one meeting and kind of has now transferred to cover an entire area. Mm-hmm. But that's, yeah, that's it's been that way for a while. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought. I mean, I, I have YouTubed it and and found a few people that have done their travel videos. Of, mm. This is the Chicago Loop, and they you know say various things about it. Okay. And and I think still the amazing thing I think for fans is that, that at least some of the scenes, and you may know this better than I know, Joe. Um, we're, we're definitely filmed in Chicago, at least the the outside of the building, uh, where everybody points to this when they go to Chicago, who's on these sites, and they show a picture of themselves taking a you know a shot of that. My brother did this for me once too. He was <laughs> he was just somewhere downtown, and he realized this was the building, so he took yeah, you a know, shot. I've of heard it. that. Um, Mark Dewidzik would probably be a much better guide to that than me, because mm-hmm. uh, I do not know the locations that were used. That stuff was filmed quickly. 
Um, it wasn't an, although it was complained by the networks as an expensive show, it really wasn't that expensive compared to most. Mm. But um, I don't know if that included many outdoor scenes. They did show um, the street scene. Um, this is all from the the buffer or the entry to the show, you would see some of the outside right. exterior of Chicago, but I don't know how many other exterior shots were used, to be honest. It, it doesn't look like much. I mean, it, it, at any point in time, he's, he's still in the car with the top down, you know, and, right? and theoretically he's, he's gone on for months now with the episode on, and he has, <laughs> he's a Christmas episode. I can't remember what they show of him. He's probably, that's when he gets on the boat. So yeah. I'm not oh, sure how it, much. No, you know, yeah. It, they, that, but. So they do show the one shot of like a snowy Chicago and then pretty much the rest of the episodes like indoors and then him getting on a boat. Yeah. But they they do have a shot. I think there's even some people some people shoveling. Uh, no way. Yeah, like the very first, maybe like thirty seconds. I think. And okay. It, it could have been the version that I saw, the streaming version. I, and if mm-hmm. I, I'm, I know I I did see the snow though, at least like thirty seconds of snow. I'm pr- almost positive. Um, I gotta give him credit for that. That's cool. Yeah, but but then you know you talked Robert. You talked about the sh- the tops. You know the top down shots. He's wearing the exact same thing that he does from the Night Stalker, the first movie. They recycle those shots. So I believe yes. pretty, pretty much like it's all like I don't know. Did they shoot it in Vegas? Or I, I doubt they'd shoot it in Vegas. They'd had to shoot some outside scenes in Vegas, though, didn't they? Maybe uh, for the movies. Yeah, I mean, otherwise, I think that's all done on. On, on the lot. Yeah, I think if it's dark enough, though, they can get him in his car and get by with it. But, uh, you know, speaking of your, your comic shops and stuff, uh, one thing that me and James sort of talked about and bonded over was his love of, like, D&D. He really loves D&D. And something that comic shops have become synonymous with, synonymous with now is, like, branching out and, you know, mm-hmm. do, picking up, like, D&D and uh, Magic the Gathering and all this stuff, Pokemon cards, whatever. H- has your comic shops, do you branch out? Do y'all do other things? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, we've been with that for a long time. We do D and D. We do magic. We do T-shirts. We do. We did Sanrio products for many years. Um, geez, we do magazines. We do, you know, prose novels, and of course, board games, which are pretty big. Pretty big. Oh yeah, especially because they'll have like I know like they'll have like the there's like Ghostbuster Kickstarter uh, board games like I think end up going like hundred and ten dollars for a board game by itself. Like those, the prices are crazy on some of that stuff. But I, 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 I just recently, probably a few months ago, got into Magic. Just oh, okay. uh, I saw some like they and they have a cool set coming up. I don't, Robert, I don't know if you, I don't know why you just saw this, but they're coming out with like a, a new vampire set. Like it's got like Dracula and the artwork on the on the cards. And this is something being a comic lover that I can appreciate is like the 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 artwork on the cards is just amazing. Like the paintings that actually go into it, that people painting like. Dracula's castle and the different vampires and stuff and the mechanics that behind the cards are just I love stuff like that and I think that's why I sort of like that but I love D&D too um, but yeah that was one of the questions and then another question so speaking of comics and you know stuff you wrote uh, some, one of your other things that I noticed uh, tell me if you if you recognize uh, this character which I don't know if can you ah uh, yes is the Phantom and this is I ended up I think I actually bought this at one of my local comic shops they had the, the <laughs> Phantom and the d- different Defenders of the Universe or uh, and I and I remember watching the eighties that eighties cartoon I think there's a nineties cartoon playing like the Super Nintendo games and the Billy Zane movie I remember that too that was like when I was real young but what yeah. but what got you into the Phantom and because you wrote uh, the whole chronicle the Phantom Chronicles and stuff like that what got you into it somewhere along the way. 
as a kid, I would go to used uh, bookshops and I would pick up. That's where I found like my first Zorro book or my first Avenger book. They had novels for the Phantom and I had picked up one of those as a kid. I never I never got a chance to read the newspaper strip till much later. So it was the novels that got me into the character. You obviously connected with it with it enough to end up wanting to write about it. So what was it that enticed you about him, the character itself? What I, I was trying, we were trying to do something with the Phantom that I thought got kind of lost. Besides that, he's you know a white guy in a purple suit in the jungle. We wanted the generational tale, right, to be more of a mystery uh, for his character to be his mystique. Because right now, if, when we were um, before we got the Phantom, the Phantom that had come before. In the newspaper strip, is very lighthearted. It's pretty much G-rated material. And then uh, the comics that had come out, I don't want to say he was borderline superhero, but it wasn't as interesting as I think the character could be. But of course, I didn't know then, I do know now, dealing with licenses, you may not get all that you want. Um, yeah. So it was about hyping his mystique. Like when people see the Phantom, this is a guy that's been around for hundreds of years. That's yeah. got to be creepy. Because not, it's generally not known that the son takes over for the you know, for the Phantom and then his mm-hmm. son, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I think that's just pretty interesting, and that he's like this, uh, like a judge. People come to him with problems in his native fictional land of Bangala, but uh, you know, the, uh, various tribe members uh, come to him. But we, our thing was. I like when we bring the Phantom out of that and we bring him to Chicago, which we did for a couple of series. Mm. Like, what is that character like outside of the jungle? How can he be interesting outside of that milieu? And that's, that's what we went for. And I think there's a lot to that character. You know, it's a story I often tell, but it, it's fun. You know, our first dealing with licenses, you had to get all the artwork approved. You have to get all the storylines approved. They have to approve all the artists and all the writers. There was a story we had with the Phantom. It was an early story. And Diana was in some trouble. So he had to commandeer a Jeep to drive to rescue her. We were told that um, we can't have the Phantom driving recklessly. And that was an issue that we had to change. For that, we, you know, <laughs> all right, so he's driving to save somebody, but he's apparently going the speed limit and, you know, following all yeah. the traffic lights to get there. So we found ways to tell that story without being very specific about it. Or we have, like, he wears two guns, right, the Phantom, but he can't shoot anybody. He's not yeah. allowed to shoot people. What do you do with that? And there's only so much of, I shoot the gun out of your hand thing that really, you know, it's only so much of that is believable. So you got to find other things to do which made us telling stories both more interesting and tougher to do. We certainly enjoyed our time with the Phantom, and we keep trying to get uh, the Phantom back to do more Phantom stuff. Man, I would, I would absolutely love that. I, I, I grew up loving the Phantom, and when I was a kid, like after Defenders of the Universe, I think, they had, uh, it was like Phantom 2049, I think, was like the, the thing, and it was like him in the future, and that was what the video mm-hmm. game was based off of. So I remember that, too. And the movie, I don't know if I like. I think I enjoyed the movie as a kid, but looking back now, I'm not sure if it if it holds up as much as I thought it did then. Um, okay, but you, but you know, I still Phantom's one of those characters that I always love. But speaking of, I guess different characters and all this stuff and different licensing, you actually answered my question about the. I was going to ask you about that. You know, talking about different having to deal with them. 
uh, I was ended up talking to one of the storyboarders for He-Man, uh, the cartoon in the eighties. And he's saying, Oh, He-Man's got a sword, but he can't use it. And Hey, in order, you have to put all these weird taglines and stuff at the end. And I thought that was interesting, but I, I was reading and you know, a storyboarder yourself that worked at Disney. Is that, am I correct on that? Yes. Uh, Ruben, how do you spell, say his last name? Proc- I've always said Procopio, but, uh, you know, I, I could be wrong. I thought that was correct. Yeah, because I was looking over his stuff, and it, it, it seems like he's done, like, stuff from the Black Cauldron, Aladdin, the Lion King, worked for Disney for all those years. And, I mean, there's a list, a laundry list long about that stuff, but he even worked on, like, the newer Batman and Scooby-Doo, and uh, I think he even worked on, like, the Batman 66 comic, which I read when it was coming out with Adam West, which I thought was really cool. Uh, tell me about your relationship with him and how you got to meet him. Ruben's, Ruben's a great guy. He's one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. I met him through a fellow writer of mine, Richard Dean Starr, who lived near Ruben at the time. And Ruben is a big fan of all these characters, you know, the Hornet, oh, cool. the Pulp stuff, the Ranger, all these guys. And he also knew people in both Hollywood and in licensing because he's worked with Disney and all these other things. Yeah. But I met Ruben as a sculptor. Um, yes, Ruben yes. sculpted a bunch of statues of these classic characters. They're gorgeous. You know, he did the Ranger, he did the Phantom, he did the Green Hornet. So when we got together, Ruben was all about, you know, was very excited about these characters. And so he did many, many different covers. He did Captain Action for us. I mean, he did all kinds of things for us. Great guy. I know he's still working at, I want to say he has now gone up to be like a supervisor in the, in various animation departments. But uh, yeah, he's a great guy. Yeah, I just thought that was super cool. And, and, you know, now it's like, I'm sure there's even more sculptors now, but most of the, like a lot of the sculpture sculptures you see of like, I guess, well-known characters that get licensed are like these, they're sort of like made in factories sort of sculpted and stuff. You know, you don't get the highly, I'm sure you can get the highly detailed if you get them like non, if you commission them privately and Mm -hmm. stuff. But I mean, they just don't do a lot of that stuff. Like as far as like companies don't hire it out, I guess. Uh, But I, I looked into his stuff and it looked really cool. We're playing off of uh, more questions that we would have, and, and one of them definitely is is the licensing issue and or the licensing topic. We don't have to call it an issue per se, but you know there are people that we'll see in the the various sites um, not trying to call anybody out who do their own sculptures and seem that it's not necessarily just a fan who's doing these, like he may actually be selling these. And that always just kind of makes me wonder about you and about James and, and how hard you worked to get the merchandising, you know, that's also a package part of, of the, the, the print capabilities that you're able to do. So, you know, how, how do you approach that? If you see it, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, it seems like you just kind of just got to let it go because it's so small time. Or what, how do you feel about that? We know they're fans. We know they're just, they love it so much that they're doing it. Well, since our rights revolve around publishing, obviously that's our main concern. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I see t-shirts and statues and toys made by others that are obviously not licensed, you're right to it, to an extent, uh, it's all pretty small time. And they're out there keeping the character alive. On one hand, that's a positive thing. And every licensor feels differently about these kind of things. Yeah. Uh, and you, I'm sure, have known some that are uh, really litigious. Yeah. You know, we're out there trying to shut people down at a convention for drawing a sketch for somebody to uh, not caring so much. And again, this is, it's more the rights holder 
that would be interested in either shutting them down or letting them go. So unless it involves publishing, that's really the only time, you know, we would probably get involved. Okay. But so you, but you still have the, the merchandising side of it or that's still just James's domain. Well, when we have something that we want to do, I would, uh, the first thing I would do is get permission for that thing. And that would be now would be contacting James. Hey, James, uh, we're going to do this, um, um, deck building card game. Mm-hmm. You know, we'd like to use Kolchak in this game. Is that cool? And then we go from there. Um, gotcha. So I do not have the rights to produce whatever I want uh, for a Kolchak. But I'm out there, you know, I would be, in the past, I would be out there looking for Jeff. Um, Correct. And Mark and I would be Jeff's advocate a lot. Uh, most Mostly Mark. And he's been that way, you know, as long as I've known Mark. You know, Jeff had a hard time towards the end, and so we were all trying to help him out. Yeah. So, you know, James has been very cool. No issues there. But, yeah, anytime we want to do something, we would, in, in the past, I would ask Jeff, and now we would just ask James. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, this this is all sort of a setup for the thing that so many people are excited about now, which is what we're hearing about is this Kickstarter to do uh, a graphic novel. And or at least uh, maybe you call it more of a compendium. I'm not really sure what the the terminology is. And, you know, they've been talking about some of the various uh, contributors that will be doing it. And, of course, Randy Barnes is a big friend and fan of our Rodney Barnes. Well, we're a big fan. Sorry, Rodney. Rodney Barnes. Sorry, I got a friend named Randy Barnes who (laughs) is is a shot putter. (laughs) And and as you may learn from me, I'm huge into shot putting. So anyway, world record holder there for a while, must tell you. And actually as big as Rodney Barnes, too, at least as tall. No, but anyway, um, (laughs) I was speaking to. Uh, the person who's uh, not speaking to, but writing back and forth to the person who's doing the Kickstarter. And then he had said that I think both you and James will be providing some nonfiction writing that will go in along with this. Is is this a rumor that can be announced at this point? Or is this, uh, is do you know that you're doing that? Uh, it's been talked about. I know okay. that uh, we did talk to James about it because we certainly want to get the closest thing to Jeff Rice to be right. part of it. And I think it's good for James to be part of this stuff that he was on the outside much of his life. Yeah. Uh, I think it's cool. And I know that he's interested in doing it. The Kickstarter thing is exciting. It is really apart from the Moonstone continuity of Kolchak. Right. You know, it's kind of a self-contained. It is a graphic novel. It's a collection of short comic stories in a very chronological fashion in Kolchak's life. Mm. Um, and we have a lot of a lot of great creators. We're excited about it. We, the other James is the guy who's uh, spearheading. Right. So, and I thought that was excellent because, again, uh, I need somebody who really knows uh, the Kickstarter model, and I do not. So I was happy, gotcha. to, happy to hand that over to him. And I was going to ask about the Kicks. So you don't know. You're not on the Kickstarter side as much, I guess. I'm not. I'm involved in uh, everything that is going into that. Book. Yeah, yeah. So as far as, I guess, the Kickstarter model to me, and this could be me projecting. You could. I mean, I don't know if you can say yes or no to any of this, but it seems like somebody was asking in one of the groups today. They said, you know, why can't they just go the traditional publishing route? Why can't they just publish it, you know, straight up and not have to get people backing beforehand? And for a 50th anniversary thing, 
with everybody involved, and I know Rodney Barnes especially. Um, I, I don't know. He just signed with Substack. I know he has some issues with, like, he can't do new comic projects sometimes. I don't know. I didn't know if maybe if it was a new thing he might could do if it's like limited Kickstarter or what the thing is with that. And also like Kickstarter's like pretty much guaranteed, hey, it's backed. You get the money up front, so it's less less if if it if either it gets made or it doesn't. It don't get published and then you don't lose the money on the back end, I guess. Uh, and especially with so many people involved, I feel like that would be a better model and that's the reason maybe he went this route, you know. Um Well, yeah, that's certainly all very valid you know of the graphic novels we put out of cold check they've all been very tough to finance they've all gone through the regular distribution and mm-hmm. publishing model so this would be the only one we've ever done this way kickstarter and in order to attract different uh names and to get a couple uh, marquee type players involved in this we had to find another way to get uh to finance this and this is this is an avenue, and it does seem to work for some comic uh, products. So, again, this is not my thing. If it was my project, I probably wouldn't be on Kickstarter because, again, I'm not an expert on that, on how to work that. So it's a great experiment for us to see what we can do on there. And, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> we've talked about Kickstarter so many times here at Moonstone, and we've actually never pulled the trigger. So this has worked out uh, to our benefit is to have someone who really knows what they're doing. Uh, yeah. give it a try. And one of the funnest part about funnest parts about Kickstarter that sort of makes it unique, I guess, when you're using it is for the, for the person backing it, you want more people to buy this because, Hey, you have certain tiers that unlock as you go further along. You might get a special print or this mm-hmm. is not just going to be a graphic novel. There's more to this than that, you know? Oh yeah. And, and there's going to be stuff you unlock and I can't wait. We're, we're actually going to, we actually have two episodes scheduled with the other James who's heading this project. Good. Uh, so we're going to talk to him all about that, and we're going to do whatever we can to help him push this because we want this to succeed. Because anytime Colchak succeeds, we all succeed. I mean, am I right on that? No, that is nothing wrong with that. No, and so, uh, I don't know, the Kickstarter model, it's fun, and I know some people are sort of hesitant on it, but it's fun. It's entertaining, and it's something different, and I think that don't, just because it's different, don't just sort of cast it to the side and make, oh, I don't like this. It's going to be fun. There's a lot of great people involved with it. So I would just recommend... You know, James is on board, especially this is going to, is this, I think this is the first thing James is really doing as, uh, you know, and he's sort of following his dad's footsteps and we've talked to him about it. And, uh, gosh, this is, it's, it's, I'm excited just talking about it now and I can't wait for, <laughs> for January when this thing launches, you know, well, that's, that's not cool. coming. Yeah. That's not coming through at all, Bradley. I, 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 I <laughs> oh, difficulty I need seeing, seeing your excitement. Sorry, Joe, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, it's okay, man. Let me jump into, um, one more question about Cole Shack, and we and we do want to play our caller stuff. And and Joe, we know you're not just going to stay up all night with us, so we we really appreciate you doing this again. Okay. Um, but the you know the the thing that I'm wondering about is you as both a publisher and editor and a writer um, of Cole Shack stories. What is the you know one to three or so essential elements? that you feel like have to be part of a Cole Shack story, you know, more than just inserting Cole Shack in a scene <laughs> with a monster, you know? Yeah. And, and I feel like, I, I feel like a lot of us who are fans could probably reel off 15 things that we think, but you, you've been on this creative side of it. Um, what would you think is, is, you know, at least, you know, anywhere from a, a few things there that have to be part of some stories. 
you know, it's funny because uh, Mark Dewitzik and I have talked about this often. Because as I get submissions or as I solicit writers to give me submissions on Kolchak Tales, it has to be a Kolchak story, right? It can't be what sounds like an X-Files story or just a horror story. And Kolchak, what makes Kolchak to me is you need an element of terror because it's not it's not gore necessarily, right? Terror. Terror is a, is a, is a different word. Uh, you need a certain element of noir because Kolchak is going against all the odds here, right? Uh, time is either winding down or something bad is about to happen. So he's desperate to get to the answers. And um, you need character. What's interesting about Kolchak's story is every character he meets in any given episode, as you have seen, is there's something quirky about that character, something you know memorable about the yeah. character, even if it's only, you know, uh, a woman he meets in an office who's the receptionist. There's something quirky about that. And as you write a Coltex story, and it's good for all storytelling, really, is these little supporting characters, if you can give them something, it really comes off as real, and then uh, your main character can react to it. We do that with Coltex all the time in our stories. And I think those three elements really make a good Coltex story. Now, those three elements, are they in other stories? Well, sure. But what's interesting about that is you can, I'm a big fan of the X-Files and I know Coltech was a big, you know, foundation for what they wanted to do with that show. But um, not every X-Files episode sounds like a Coltech story to me. Mm-mm. You know, they don't have the terror or the terror happens later or the main characters don't even get involved in that because many of those stories, you know, would end right where you think it's going to continue it stops uh Coltech is different in that way and i don't really see Mulder and scully as the same type of character that Coltech is i love the i love the x-files um but Coltech is different and that's why i liked both of those things because they weren't the same but those are the three elements i go character noir and terror Outstanding. Yeah. Outstanding. Um, you know, we, we, we don't play uh, guests against other guests and say, hey, you're the best one we've ever had. But that that is bar, by far one of the uh, most meaningful discussions I've had because um, I, I, I don't really write. I've tried to write a little bit. And I mean, I am a former English teacher and huh? uh, and just, you know, I, I enjoy the idea probably of thinking about what would happen when something's written. Okay. And uh, so I really, really appreciate your take on that. And uh, that, that means honestly, just means a lot to me. I just love the way you mentioned that. And and I know I will start. I've always, always thought about, you know, Dick Van Patten is so, so quirky and he's so fun. And, and the woman in Bradley hasn't seen this one yet, but in the nightly murders who he calls like, get away from me, you dumb broad or whatever it is that he says to him when she's just being so, so idiotic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, these people, just like you say, Gory the ghoul, yes. and the, you know, and, and the guy in the Spanish moss murders, who's the, I guess the Greek cabbie, who's an operatic <laughs> singer or whatever. Yeah. Or, what yeah. the, the, the construction just, just worker, the construction worker who has Indian roots. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that was that's the, James, yeah, um, Jim, uh, Jim Smith. That's what yeah, that's the guy who was in all the every which way but loose and Falcon Falconetti from Richmond, poor man. Okay, so what episode are we talking about now? So I jumped around a bunch. So it's it's the one with Machimoto. Um, it's the what was that technically called? Something 
Eater? What was energy. It? Eater. Energy Eater? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Energy Eater. So Jim Jim Smith, you know, is is this Native American history, whatever roots person who speaks five languages, who Kolchak interrupt, you know, interacts with, but he's also a ladies' man. Of who's, course. you know, getting all the broads when he's there. <laughs> and uh, but no, but the, the the amazing thing about that guy is he he played Falcon Eddie in Rich Man Poor Man. He was Nick Nolte's ne- nemesis. He was eventually Clint Eastwood's ne- nemesis in Every Which Way But Loose or mm-hmm. Any Which Way You Can, whatever you want to call it. Rumblefish, all these shows. But he actually did speak five languages. He was a oh. language translator um, in the Air Force. And had considered, he was a former bodybuilder, had considered going in, you know, being full-time, but got the acting bug and, and stayed with it. But yeah, those characters, uh, amazing. Good point, Bradley. Speaking of, uh, I'm sure if anybody's listening to this podcast, they know my favorite horror movie of all time is <laughs> Not a Living Dead. Of course. Which I would be remiss if I didn't mention the great story arc. And I haven't finished it because I haven't got the third issue yet of the, the three-part series that the that Moonstone did the Cole Shack meets Not a Living Dead, and I haven't finished it yet. But from what I've read, it seems fascinating. I love it. I mean, it's like, wow, this is like something I didn't know I needed in my life, and now I have it in my life, and I still haven't finished it. And I need to find the other because I went to my local comic shop, and they had them there. I got all the Moonstone books they had. I'm like, okay, okay, I don't see the third. I, th- I think it's the third one. I don't see it, so I'm gonna have to find it online or something. But I You're love have it. to order it directly from us. I think. Oh, do y'all have it on on in stock? I'll have to get it. I'll, I'll just get the trade paperback. I mean, why not? Man, I love that. How did that come? Because I know it's public domain technically because the way George A. Romero released the film. But whose idea was that? How did that come about? When we do a Kolchak comic, our goal is to put something out there that Kolchak fans will like, of course, and it's pretty much anything that has Kolchak in it. But to put something else in there, whether it's Cthulhu, Night of the Living Dead, Sherlock Holmes, the idea for us is to bring other fans into Kolchak to introduce them to the character if they don't already know it. So that's why we end up with these stories that are like this. Uh, we We have a couple coming up. Very similar, where we're introducing another element, like we did, um, or Shadows and Kolchak. We did, yeah. you know, where, and we did that to bring in kind of both audiences together to see if we can get more people into Kolchak. That's always been our plan: is just keep growing the Kolchak character. You know, the but it was fun, and so that was a discussion between me and the writer Chris. And what we do, we we were just kept uh, banting about different ideas of how to make a Kolchak title sound interesting. And it was Night Stalker of the Living Dead, right? Yeah, yeah. And we thought, yeah, that should work, right? That'll bring some people in. And I'm glad you got a chance to read some of it, at least. Yeah, so I'll have to get the rest. Uh, and I think Rodney Barnes is actually doing a zombie story in the graphic novel, uh, which I'm... I had heard something like that. Yeah, so. and you can you can talk to James about all that. He'll be oh, happy I'll talk to, to him. Tell him. But yeah, that's all I had to say was, man, uh, and that because Moonstone is like... It's just fun, and and when I think of see the Moonstone titles, and anytime you see like the the comic, it's fun seeing Colshack in like these cool comic covers. Like I even bought <laughs> I even bought some one off issues that I didn't have they didn't have them all because I was like this just looks cool. I don't know what's happening in this comic, but this is the third issue of whatever. But it's got Colshack and a cool thing. I'm gonna I'll put it up somewhere or something. I don't know. So, uh, right. but Colshack's fun. Him and Dark Shadows. I mean, all this is super fun. Uh, but I, I'll I'll quit blabbing on about the, the comics uh and we'll, we'll, that's right <laughs> we'll get to no, Jeff's I, call. I, I love it bradley i love that you do that stuff this this is actually um someone who's been on the podcast with us um his name is jeff colburn he is a fan who does the the coles play 
everything. And, and of course, Bradley, it's making me sign into Google. Oh, I got it. Okay. I got it right here. I'm going to Google voice. I got it. I'll just do that. Here it goes. Here it goes. Go for it, buddy. Professionalism at its finest. (laughs) That's all right. Hi, this is Jeff calling about Kolshak's loop. And I've got a question for your guest about a story he not only edited, but also wrote. I've actually got several questions. I'll make them quick. After reading the three-part graphic miniseries, Cry of Thunder, I'm currently reading the novelization, Cry for Thunder. And I'm curious about why one uses of and why one uses for. Uh, That's the first question. Second question. Uh, We'll take them one by one. (laughs) Why does one use for and one use of? All right, so let's 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 do a little research on that. All right, so we're saying <laughs> that is hilarious. That is hilarious. You could just say you don't know. I, I'll well, hang on because now I got to find out. Okay, so here's "Cry for Thunder," <laughs> and he's saying one of those was "Cry of Thunder." Is that what he's saying? That's what he All said. Right, yes, I, right. I think when it was in the graphic novels, potentially it was "of" and then. When you did the actual novel, it became four. All right. So I'm looking at the novel. The novel does indeed say four. Okay. And let's see if we go to the graphic novel. Oh, and there's the comics, which was of. So uh, the answer to that is there is no answer. And <laughs> yeah, that that's hilarious. Um, no, uh, there is no answer to that. There was nothing done for a particular reason. Wow. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> sleep sleep well tonight, Joe. It's okay. no, yeah, great. Well, and and to Jeff's credit, Jeff's the type of guy. Like I saw him in his oh co- in gosh. his cosplay. He said, "I've got this bag. It looks exactly like the bag he had in the '72 movie, except the '72 movie has more of an orange slice shape." But it's the <laughs> I'm like. I'm like, what? And if you look, it looks like the exact same bag, same stitching on the side. It's got the same weird leather pattern on the side. I'm like, what, what Jeff? What? So I don't know. He's, he's great. We love Jeff. He's actually been on some episodes with us. Uh, but yeah, he's great. I'll continue. That's with pretty this. cool. Yeah. I'm, there's, there's just no, no reason for it that I can even make up here. So I got no answer. I'm sorry about that. That's awesome. Play on Bradley. That's the first question. Second question. Where did you get the inspiration for the story? Of course. And question three is, did you initially envision the story as a novel or did that expanded version sort of germinate gradually? You know, I keep thinking about this title thing and it's been so long since we've talked about it. Um, I think the four and the of were only to differentiate the two different things, uh, the individual comics from the prose stuff. But it's been so long that I don't remember. But as far as um, the inspiration behind this became, I don't know where I came across this. Um, there is a rumored historical character called Peter the Painter, which is really not the strongest name one can have. <laughs> but it's um, it's an English uh, myth about a guy who basically is responsible for bringing automatic weapons in for the first time to the country. And that was the inspiration for the story. Now, that's one part of the story is this Peter the Painter thing. And the other part is that famous photo that may never have existed or may exist of the uh, Thunderbird uh, that was being held up by people who have killed it. Um, It's a famous photograph for a cryptozoologist Mm -hmm. rumored. Everybody thinks they've seen it. Like, I, I thought that I've seen it, but it doesn't exist People have trouble finding it. So those two things uh, I had, and I, I, for some reason, I thought 
these two, I, I should be able to make something interesting out of this. And that's where that came from. It was supposed to be a comic miniseries. All right. So at the time, traditionally, a three-issue comic miniseries was the length of a miniseries. Yeah. So I wrote that. And I'm like, you know what? I should make this. I should, you know, make this into a novel. So when I novelized the first, the three issues, it wasn't enough. <laughs> Prose-wise, there just wasn't enough words to make it uh, a novella even. So the cool thing about that was, I mean, it took so long to get the comic story. I mean, that was over a year to get all the research done. And then to do the novel, it was another year plus on that. But I had, I got the opportunity, you don't get this chance very much, to go back on something that you've done and expand upon it and to tell the stories that were between the panels, so to speak. And I got to really uh, fill up this story with uh, some of the supporting cast and put in some really cool scenes that we didn't have a chance to do in the, uh, in the comic stuff. So for me, both pretty much stand on their own, but it was really fun to go back and do the, the novel. It's funny when you uh, try to novelize something, just like when you adapt uh, something into comics, you realize how much material there is and how yeah. few comic pages you have to put it in. Like when I did an adaptation of a movie, uh, Fright Night, many years ago, you know, to distill that down to 40 pages or something is ridiculous, right? You have an almost a two hour movie with scenes that never even made the movie to try to make it into a comic. And the opposite is true. You go from a comic to another medium, you have to put stuff in uh, to make it more full. It's, it was fun to do, but I, I enjoyed both projects. All right, we'll keep rolling here. Question four. Um, you captured Kolchak's character nicely in the story, but uh, because several writers have served as his literary voice over the years, I was wondering, you started writing your take on him. What were your goals? You know, were, were there certain aspects you wanted to emphasize, or was there a side of him you felt hadn't been shown? Yeah, that's a tough one. So I think for Kolchak, our thing is Kolchak's always going to be Darren McGavin. His delivery. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um the choice of words that he uses. So for us, we want to make sure that when you're reading Kolchak dialogue in prose or comics, that it sounds like what you would hear on an episode. It would sound like Darren McGavin's voice. So that's what we went for. As far as sides of the character, you don't see very much. Well, again, in an hour episode, uh, you're not going to get all the character pieces that you're going to want. So we have a chance to do those. So, and that means relationships for Kolchak. Um, where you have uh, the FBI agent from, um, you know, the made-for-TV movies. We get to bring him back and show their past history. Now, we had a very interesting um, letter arrive from Jeff Rice a long time ago. Um, I don't know. There were a couple pages each. He, Jeff Rice did a biography of both Kolchak and Vincenzo, putting all kinds of interesting information that you don't get on the TV show at all. You don't get in the novel because there just wasn't enough time to talk about it. So part of that is we played with it a little bit is that uh, Kolchak did serve in the armed forces in the intelligence community. So we got to play with that a little bit. That's like a little fun fact that maybe you don't know. But for us is we created this character for Kolchak, uh, Lieutenant Weber, Sergeant Weber, depending on when uh, you read about her. This is a past love interest of Kolchak that is still somehow friends with Kolchak, still cares about <laughs> him. And we're able to bring that into stories to, you know, you want to round him out as a person, right? Um, just like him and Vincenzo, you don't want to see that, that it's fun to watch them bicker and fight, 
But, you know, 24-7 of that might be a bit much. So in those biographies, um, Jeff Rice had Kolchak being married once and losing that, that wife, or that wife is, is killed. Now, that doesn't come up anywhere, of course. But we use that as a background because Vincenzo experienced that with his son, if I have this all right, where his son, yeah, had a drug problem and ended up dying. So you get to see these characters bond. Like, why? <laughs> Otherwise, why on earth would these two people continue to work together? Right? They, you know, they just are nothing but, um, you know, <laughs> oil, repelling. Oil and water. Mm -hmm. So you find those moments, which are fun, where they really talk about something, where they're really two people talking. And then it doesn't take much, right, to flip the switch back yeah. to where they're fighting over it. But at least you get to play with that moment a little. And that's what we want to do is to humanize them um, before going back to what people expect for the characters. Sorry, I got a little long-winded on that. My hey, oh, no, no, no. There's, love it. Love it. No, man, there's no such thing as you can. We had a five-hour Halloween special. And I mean, <laughs> we had Mark. Anytime Mark DeWidjack comes on, it's a. Uh, it's hard to cut off at three hours, so uh, I don't. Think I, I understand. So hey, there's no long if there if if there's long winded on this episode. Uh, it, if that word is not in our vocabulary. Well, I, I tell you what, Joe. Um, <clears throat> again, lo love your answers to these things, and I know Jeff is gonna love those too. And we do thank Jeff for sending all this um, these questions in. Jeff, unlike me, is actually a writer. Um, he has written a Shack novel and he has let me uh, start reading it. And okay. man, I love it. I just love the the beginning he's put in. It's so clear. Um, I see all the things that I never think about when I'm trying to write <laughs> that, <laughs> that are part of what he has done in putting his uh, novel together. He also, it's funny, former English teacher, both of us lasted like a year in the classroom <laughs> and we've gone on to, you know, do other things. But um, yeah, so I, I think um, very insightful guy. And if, if I ever finished editing the podcast he did with us, that will go out too. <laughs> and uh but yeah I, we really appreciate having him uh contribute to us and is he a, uh so what else has he written this is his first thing this this is the first thing he's really worked on um he's he's done multiple drafts of it and um but yeah i mean i've i've read i think at this point i'm probably up to about four different uh type of Kolshak novels um that i've read and um, I'm, I'm telling you, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of Kolshak and everything Kolshak, and I think he really grips it. Um, well, so he's always welcome to send it to me, okay, or send me a piece of it to start yeah. reading it. Uh, that'd be fine. You know, before we leave here, uh, we want to make sure we get everything, uh, all our ducks in a row. Is there any Joe? Is there anything in specific, any place they can follow you on Twitter or Instagram, and uh, the, what's the website and everything? And so our website is moonstonebooks.com. Uh, we are on Twitter as well. We're on Facebook as well. Uh, what we'd like to do for your listeners, because uh, it's really cool that uh, that you had us on here, uh, that you're promoting Colcheck, of course, I'm always going to be jumping at that, is anybody who listens to this podcast uh, can get 20% off uh, any of our stuff, on, including Colcheck, on our website by typing in the discount code, code Kolchak podcast, all one word, all lowercase, and it's 20% off. Whether it's new Kolchak or old Kolchak, or if it's already on sale, you get 20% off that too. 
So at least Bradley, you can pick up that. Third I was going to say, if you want. I need, I need, I'm going to pick up not a living dad so I can finish this. And uh, yeah, so that'd be cool. Yeah. I mean, we welcome everybody. I mean, it's nice to get new Kolchak fans. It's nice when they come to the website or they they're talking to us on Facebook about it. Um, it's just cool. I know that there are Kolchak fans out there who are still, learning that moonstone exists after all this time and that's fine so i'm out there trying to make sure everybody knows that there is new kolchak material being produced officially licensed material so if you like the shows or the movie uh the tv movies i mean you're gonna like the comics and the books because we take uh super good care of our guy kolchak yeah I, in fact you'll love the the books because it's even more like you know an episode you, you know you get 50 minutes or whatever like these novels you can really just dive in and especially people who have never seen any of the new, of the moonstone stuff. There is a back catalog of like <laughs> literally anything you could want in a, in a Cole shack book. It's out there uh, as we've talked about. And uh, so, you know, Joe, thank you so much for coming on in the future. We, anytime you have anything uh, come okay. on and uh, we'll, we'll plug it. We'll, we just want the Cole shack community to grow. Uh, Robert, do you have anything else before we rode off in the sunset? I love the fact that you knew Jeff and you say Kolchak. And I was such a snob thinking everyone had to say it like McGavin and it had to be Kolchak. And then yeah. his son tells us it's Chack. <laughs> and that, that, that was like the happiest day in my life, though. I mean, it really was. I'm like, dude, I, I, can't, I can't tell you how happy I am. And, you know, Again, about James, uh, I appreciate the the domino effect of what has happened, I think, at this point to bring James into this story now. And and a part of that, believe it or not, was on one of the Shack sites. I was thinking about starting the podcast, didn't even really know Bradley, but I saw um, something that Mark DeWidziak posted and I just commented, it's like, hey, guys, I don't know if you understand how lucky we all are to have DeWidziak on this site sharing the things that he's sharing. I mean, this is phenomenal if you're a Cole Shack fan. I, I got a message from Mark probably within 10 minutes yeah. of that, that he was on another site saying, saying the same thing he just said and got rudely spoken to, written by, not, by the administrators. Oh, Because it's you know, some of them are just so touchy when it comes to trying to sell things. And Mark wasn't selling anything. But for whatever reason, they felt like it was off the, the um, wow. you know, what they wanted. And then he contacted me and said, hey, thanks for the kind words, you know, that you said. And next thing I knew, you know, with Mark, it's not hard to strike up a conversation. <laughs> so we're just nonstop, you know, writing back and forth to each other. And then I'm kind of like, do I ask him if I can interview him? Do I ask him? You know, I don't even have the the Cole Shacks podcast yet. And he's like, sure, come on, we'll do it. And so, you know, it, so he led me to you. Huh? And then you led me to James. And, and it really, I think the ball's just rolling. So I really appreciate that. And I think that's awesome. And, uh, you know, we thank you so much for doing this with us right now. And just like I said, man, you are the torchbearer. You're the one who's keeping Cole Shack going. And, and, and it's not uh, hopefully a weight on your shoulders, 
um, because there, there are plenty of us out there. The, the numbers that are in these Kohl's Shack fan sites are ridiculous. 10,000, 15,000. And I, I know there's some crossover here and there on some of these sites, but back to merchandising rights, that kind of stuff. I got in trouble because I kept telling everybody you were the main guy that had the rights on things. And mm. they were telling, it's like, I don't know how many times I have to tell people don't post that you're selling something. I'm like, I'm not, I'm just trying to say these other people are bogus. Um, ah. Joe has the real stuff, you know, go to his site if you want to do anything. And I got hit by that. Oh yeah. So they were like, we funny. don't want anything from any site on here. I'm like, it's officially said, Hey, but go to Joe. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Now, are you guys uh, like if people are trying to find you, Mm-hmm. Is it is it just Kolchak Loop? Kind of. We're 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 on uh, many sites in terms of the podcast. We simply call ourselves the Kolchak's Loop Podcast to That's... differentiate ourselves from almost everything else. So on iTunes, on Spotify, on um, the all the other Kolchak's, like Kolchak apostrophe I, S. We, yes, we, we, like possessive. Yes. Just look up Cole Shack's Loop. It's at Cole Shack's Loop on Twitter, Instagram, yeah. uh, YouTube, which we don't have but like one video on YouTube. But You know, uh, we'll, this we'll, might be weird. Yeah, uh, go but ahead. You guys could, if you have the capability, to create a probably six by nine uh, ad picture mm-hmm. that we for your podcast that I can put into our publications. Oh, that dude, would, that would be amazing. That would be epic, man. I would really appreciate so, that. Um, do you got? I don't know if you guys, you know, know graphics people or if you guys can manage this yourselves, but I'd be happy to do that for you. Yeah. Hey, yo, that that's actually more than I could. I, you know, I, that's something I would never ask of you. We don't necessarily put our ugly mugs on. The, <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, definitely. Picture. definitely not. You know, that's just going to be anti-sales. Man, you know, that's going to be the case. I would love to do like an old school, like like a old like tops cards. I don't know. Like from the like, remember the sixties and seventies? They'd put the ads in comic books. You know, I think that'd yeah. be cool to do something just a throwback to fit in. I don't know. We'll we'll talk about it, Robert. And we'll, sounds we'll great. Anything you want to do is fine. Okay, fantastic, buddy. Yeah. So so All I take right. it that's Italian. Okay, I'm I'm wrapping up here. This is probably not even be on. So that's Italian, I assume. That is Italian. Yes. Man. 100%. So okay, well, if he had Cubs players and White Sox players coming to his house, well, to mm-hmm. eat Italian food, I believe so. <laughs> hey, hey, you never know. You paying you never attention? Know. No, never I was know. paying attention. No, but do y'all do the feast of? Do you do? Did you, your family do the feast of the seven fish? Was that what it's called for uh, for yeah. Christmas? Do you know? What I'm I have about? never heard of such a thing. Oh, okay. I was just wondering. Have you heard feast of that, Robert? Of seven fish. What's it I called? have. Um, we've got. We have some family members who appear to have married into some connected families in Cleveland, <laughs> and yeah. And I, I went to their wedding, and we had the seven course dinner, and it was like the feast of seven fish, yeah. type of thing. And so, yeah, I've I've heard of those. And I it's think Italian. That just like tends to be. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, they're wow. more Italian. But it just, I, I think it tends to be like the Italians who can like be hoity toity and, and do this type of thing and they can afford to do this. I mean, dude, that might explain a, that. <laughs> this was a freaking spread. I mean, wow. come on. No, the, yeah. This was a spread. No, and, and you can't, like, it's like people, like the people I've talked about who do it, like gorge themselves. Like, you can't stop eating till you've had some of all the seven <laughs> fishes. Like, even right. if you're full, like, they legitimately, they're like, this is like an all night affair. I don't know. It's crazy. To hear but I've like, never heard yeah heard it titled anything. So 
All right. Thank you for that. I'll have to ask some, <laughs> ask around on that now. That's weird. Yeah. Okay. I never got to do the Feast of Seven. I know. Shit. Wait, what is is that off something? <laughs> no, it should it's be. Just me. Oh, I thought you I thought you're quoting like Seinfeld like you always do or something. <laughs> no. Oh my god. Yeah, no, I actually as I remember it now. We did do it at their house too. Uh, here in Louisville, and yeah, and I, and I I barely eat any fish whatsoever, so I was just like, oh, great, <laughs> oh, <laughs> a little, little little bite. Of, I mean, they had lobster and they had all the stuff oh, yeah. you could eat. So wow. anyway, all right. Hey, well, Joe, okay. thanks for coming on, man. Uh, of course, it's been a blast. And any anytime you have any book or anything, even if we just get together for like twenty or thirty minutes, just to yeah. plug it. Okay, sounds great. Anytime, we, anytime. We would gladly do any of those things with you. Thank you again so much for doing this. Um, that's it, guys. So, uh, okay. thank you for being part of Kolshak's Loop. And uh, next time you see us, I don't have a tagline even ready. <laughs> well, uh, for all things Kolshak, you can find it right here inside the loop. I'll see. There you go. No, wait a minute. You say Gentile, not Gentile? Because it's terrible habit. Right. If I, I could do it again, this is a long story in my family of how this is pronounced, who pronounces it correctly, who gets so chastised for pronouncing it incorrectly. Robert has the exact it. same story with his last name. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I gave, I gave him too many details about no, that. No, that's okay. Yeah. He, my dad looks at me. He's like, you're not saying it right. <laughs> there you go. Thanks, guys. Joe. All right. Thanks, Take Joe. care, buddy. We'll see you. Bye-bye.